It's 2022, the 20th anniversary of MotoGP. Well, it's soon underway with this year, though. The opening round in Qatar kicks off this weekend. I certainly cannot wait for it. My name's Toby Moody. Simon Patterson joining me, together with Valentin Hiroshi. Thank you so much, though, to Matt Beer for his help over the recent podcasts that we have had here with The Race. 21 races, the most ever, will take place in MotoGP for 2022. And for me, the circuits are just as much of the variety as the soap opera, the stories that come out of all of the pit garages. Qatar this weekend, then pinging on for the first time in 25 years to Indonesia, back to Argentina. Cota, the circuit of the Americas, and then into the European part of the season. Portugal, Jerez, Le Mans, Mugello, Catalonia, Saxonring, Assen, Finland. Finally, after three chances, we will be up there in the north uh, in Finland. And then Silverstone, Austria, Misano, Aragon, Mategi, Thailand, Phillip Island, Sepang, the Asian end to the season before the finale itself in Valencia. Simon, it's been a while since we caught up. You've been out testing. You've seen what's been going on in Qatar and in Indonesia. What are you looking forward to the most? Ooh, good question. Um, I think I'm looking forward to two new calendars or two new tracks in the calendar. Uh, The test in Indonesia was absolutely bonkers. The race in Indonesia, I think, is just going to be unlike anything we've ever experienced before. Um, So the fact that we've got that, plus Finland, which is obviously an amazing motorsport history in itself. And then, you know, those combined with the fact that we're actually going traveling again. We're actually going to have overseas races. We're actually going to go to Japan and go to Thailand and go to Argentina and it almost feels, despite a few restrictions here and there, like it it might be a normal season. Um, and after two that have been just so far away from being normal, I'm quite looking forward to that idea. Well, they've not been normal with people in the grandstand, but I just love MotoGP nowadays as much as I ever did before when I was in the commentary box. Val, what are you looking forward to the most as we come into 22? Honestly, that might sound a little bit weird because it doesn't it doesn't tend to matter so much for race outcomes in MotoGP, but qualifying is going to be a ton of fun. Like the, the first, very first qualifying that we start and, you know, the qualifying sessions that we go into, I mean, the gaps in the tests were, they're basically non-existent. And I think there are so many really good bikes that are, very obviously really good over one lap that it's just going to be an absolutely insane battle to to get into Q2 and to get pole positions. It's, uh, it's going to be really, really thrilling to the point where there's a part of me that almost, you know, given how entertaining it is, there's a part of me that almost regrets that it doesn't matter as much as maybe it should, that there's no bonus points for offer or something like that. But, you know. I'm going to be looking forward to something you just touched on, which is the closeness, the the, the compact nature of the timing sheets. Uh, Who's going to win? We just don't know. But as long as it's a close race, I suppose that's what I enjoy the most. And that's why I enjoyed it from the commentary box. So I won't necessarily ask quite yet, who do you guys think will win this year's MotoGP World Championship? But Fabio Quattararo, he comes in obviously as the reigning champion, emotionally victorious 
in the 21 Championship at Misano last year. We've got five rookies as well. But shall we start with Quattararo? He's continuing to be the teammate with Morbidelli in the Works Yamaha squad, the Monster Energy Yamaha squad. Morbidelli wasn't really there last year, as we all know. Knee injury, put him on the back foot, back leg. Um, whereas Quattararo just got better and better after the mistakes that he had made in, in 2020. But Simon, we saw in pre-season testing that everything that he had asked for from Yamaha hadn't really been delivered. Does it make him a little bit uneasy as the first flag drops, do you think? I, I think we go into a really strange situation where he's the reigning champion. He won last year with quite a few races in, in hand, in a despair, but he's not necessarily starting this championship as the favourite, certainly not as the clear favourite. Uh, his end of the season last year wasn't as strong as many would have hoped for. It was very much Peko Bagnaya who had all the momentum at the end of last year. And Quattaro then obviously spent all of winter, you know, bitching and moaning about what Yamaha hadn't done for him when he asked for it. They, he asked for more power. They didn't deliver it. The bike is not very different from the bike he had last year where everyone else has made a significant step forward, it seems, or or on the edge of making a step forward. So, yeah, it's it's an odd situation not to have your reigning champion as the title favourite whenever he hasn't switched teams. But I, I think time will tell. Um, one thing that we probably can expect from Quartararo because of those sort of circumstances with other people building new bikes and, and not being 100% ready for them yet, is that he'll start the season really strong. So maybe we're going to get some sort of a repeat of last year where he starts the championship looking really, really good, but then it, it doesn't quite, you know, last all season. But can he do enough at the beginning of the year to build up a bit of a points lead? Who knows? It's a It's a really strange situation to go into the season with. I mean, you, you say that it's unusual to go into the season with the reigning champion who hasn't switched teams not being title favourite, but I'd, you know, I'd argue that was also the case last year. I don't think many of us picked, picked Mir to repeat. I think, honestly, quarter hour's chances were... I would, I would even argue that maybe they are higher right now than Mir's would have been for 2021. And obviously we know that, that Mir's title defence didn't really go anywhere from the very start. Uh, I agree that I think he'll start in pretty good shape and then find himself find find himself increasingly outmatched as the 2022 Ducati package gets refined and as you know as Mark finds himself back in full fitness. But I genuinely, because of the two tracks we've had, because we've only seen the the new Yamaha and Sepang and Manzalika. I don't know what it's going to look like in Qatar. I think there's going to be a lot of questions being answered in the in the very first race in Qatar, how competitive it is against other bikes in wheel-to-wheel battle and how how many tracks Quartararo is going to have to fear in terms of that straight line speed deficit and in terms of the, the Ducatis around him and the the rejuvenated Honda. Like just how how much of a buffer from last year has been retained because... You know, the answer to that question might very well depend whether he's annoyed enough to seek signing with somebody else. So I think these few first few races are going to be really, really important for that. The the irony of it almost is that 
I, I think you're you're completely on the money with what you said about Mir um, versus Cuadraro. But I think Mir almost starts this season as more of a title favorite than Cuadraro does, which is obviously something we'll pick on a little bit later. Um, because we know that the Suzuki last year wasn't the bike that the Yamaha was. Cuadraro almost started 2021 as more of a title favourite than Mir did, even though he was champion then. They've almost flipped that role. Yeah, I think so. Um, but it, it, it just proves how little we know about where the Yamaha is versus their rivals. We, we know that the bike is still pretty good because it's still fundamentally a Yamaha and it is still fundamentally a pretty good bike. Um, but we, we don't know what's level versus everyone else. Um, Qatar will give us a bit of a sign of that, I think, because let's not forget we had two races last year at Qatar they were both won by Yamahas with two different riders because Quattro took one and Vignales took one. So it is a track that they can go well at. Um, so is Argentina. It looks like Mandalika will be as well. So we, we've kind of got a run of four races at the start of the year where we can t- sort of suss them out and see where they're at. Um, but it's going to take that that time to figure out the reality of things. I mean, if you recall, um, in Mandalika, while Fabio was being generally disgruntled as he has been, Throughout the whole, throughout the whole preseason, there were other riders who, you know, they were looking at the timesheets and they were talking about whose race pace impressed them. And I think it was a very common refrain to say that Fabio had the best long runs, the best race pace. That clearly, in a straightforward now, if MotoGP was rallying, if they just did a set amount of laps by themselves, you'd still really, really, really fancy Fabio to win a ton and probably you would call him a championship favorite but it's just it's a question of whether whether there's enough in there in that package to resist the sheer amount of Ducatis and, and Hondas that are going to be thrown at him and are going to make his Sundays particularly difficult because I, I I have no I have no doubt that his underlying pace was quick but you know we've seen that for the final years of Mavericks Yamaha tenure I think every Every weekend, you would have basically seen him be one of the quickest guys in FP4, just reliably great in FP4. And then come race time, he'd get one of those traditional terrible opening laps, and he'd drop to the back, and he would not be able to make any progress. Carteraro is better at making progress through the grid, but there's only there's only so much you can do with, with a big straight line speed deficit. So we'll have to see how much he can do. Riders always want more money, more free Oakleys, and more power. But Simon, you hit the nail on the head. Yamaha won both Qatars last year, so you know it, it is is Quattararo saying, "I just need more power. Just need more power." If you can beat a Ducati twice, two weekends on the trot at Qatar, you know you've got more torque to accelerate out of the slow corners. It's the Mugello Rossi Burgess trick. He won Mugello all those years by not being the fastest bike on the straight. Is that something that? Maybe Quattararo's got wrong, do you think? The the problem is, and this goes back to what Val says at the very, very start, I think this goes back to the qualifying thing. Um, the problem is the Yamaha is the fastest bike in a straight, on a track on its own, probably. Um, you know, you look at the qualifying record with multiple riders and it's very, very good. It's very easy to go fast on the Yamaha alone, but it's not easy to overtake on the Yamaha. And the difference between Valentino Rossi, Yamaha, Mugello versus um, 
Fabio Quartararo Yamaha Mugello this year is there wasn't eight Ducatis around Rossi to get in his way to have to overtake um, especially eight Ducatis with whole shot devices and launch controls and you know all of these gadgets to make them go faster um, it very much seems like Gigi Delinia has realized how to beat Yamaha how to beat these bikes and it's it's by leading them off the line and then blocking them and crowd them yeah, exactly. And and that's where Quadraro's problem is because that's where he needs power to overtake, not to not to go fast, but to overtake. Yeah, and much of the problem is obviously that even in on one lap pace, like we've not seen Fabio and Emerge people for for a while now. We've not seen the Yamaha and Emerge people for a while now. So you can't stay ahead if you're not even ahead to begin with, and the Ducatis have been just a massive thorn in qualifying recently. Even if Fabio's level with them, that's still at least three, probably four, maybe more Ducati guys that you need to fight off for pole, who all are capable of putting in very similar, very good laps. I mean, you're going to expect any of those guys to be in the mix for pole week in, week out. If one of them has an off week, well, so what? You still have to beat the other ones. Like, if Zarco's off the pace, you have to beat Martin, you have to beat Banya, you have to beat Miller. They're all very good over one lap. So, you know, good luck with that. And I think that, that that's a big part of what has been weighing on, on Fabio's mind since the end of last season when he... I think there's nothing in MotoGP that Fabio likes more than taking pole positions. And he has not been able to do that last year and I th- towards the end and that I think spooked him a fair bit uh, and then the other thing let's not forget is that it's not just Quadraro versus eight Ducatis in qualifying because it looks like Aprilia have found something for time attack mode uh, both Repsol Honda riders are very good at going fast for one lap Suzuki are closer this year it it, it goes back to that whole you know we, we finished testing with what 0.8 of a second covering 18 riders something like that uh, it's just there's just no room for any weakness or you're on the fourth row i'm glad that i read a headline from somebody maybe it was yourself you know uh, that that julian and i used to use 15 years ago no one's slow they're just less fast <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know uh, no one is slow um Morbidelli, he's alongside Quattararo. Let's see how that one shakes out for the man who was runner-up in 2020 for MotoGP. He had a torrid year last year with that knee injury, and let's hope that he's back on form because he didn't fall off a Christmas tree. He knows how to win races, and he knows how to win races very well. Remember that Aragon victory? So, yeah, uh, he can do it, can't he? Win races, Simon? Yeah, he can, but I don't think he can do it in Qatar. Uh, he's the the knee injury still isn't hundred percent. It's improving. We're at the stage of of the process now where it's improving almost day by day rather than month by month like it was at the end of last year. So we're seeing him get faster, but it's going to take a little bit of time. I think just based on his comments and, and what he said, um, he's fully recovered, but he's not fully fit again because of all the time lost in the gym, essentially. So the best thing for that is riding motorbikes. He'll, I think, not sacrifice the first races of the year, but he'll know that they're, they're you know, the world's fastest physio session. And then we'll go back to Europe and he'll be ready to win races. 
gut feeling. We're going to go manufacturer by manufacturer in this podcast. So we're going to move on from Works Yamaha to the to the to the new in inverted commas RNF Yamaha squad. Uh, Davizioso continuing there with rookie Darren Binder, who's leaping up from Moto Three controversially with some of his racing incidents that befell him last year or befell other people, should I say, Simon? Um, Davizioso, um, oldest man on the grid, isn't he? Yeah, by by a couple of years now. By some margin. Yeah. yeah. So uh, got got the got the got the experience. <sighs> Is he taking a seat? Am I being cruel in saying that? You know, they never want to give up. They never want to hand the throttle over to someone else. But is he taking a seat? I think I know the answer to that question, Mr. Patterson. I think it's fair to say that both the riders of that team don't really deserve MotoGP seats. Um, I think that the days of that team being the the wonder childs who dominated a season are gone. Um, we, you know, we're we're going to have a 2021 season from the team, not a 2020 season. Uh, if Davizioso makes it onto the podium, I will eat someone's hat because I just, it ain't going to happen based on what we've seen in testing so far. Um, and, and Bender is unprepared for a move to MotoGP. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of disappointing. You know, the, the team have admitted that both riders are essentially there for sponsorship, which is sad based on the level of the rest of the grid. Um, Dovey has had a long break out of the sport and it just doesn't look like he's, it just doesn't look like he's at the level that it needs to be. You know, it's very, very obvious that MotoGP has changed substantially in the time that he's been away. And yeah, I just can't see him. I just can't see him coming in at the sharp end again. I think it's a little, I think it's a little harsh because ultimately, when Dovi did leave MotoGP, he didn't leave it in in necessarily bad form, just not not great form. Obviously, the the indication is that he's still not entirely up to speed with the new Michelin rears that came in 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 twenty twenty and basically basically wrecked his chances at. Uh, Basically wrecked his chances at giving having a proper title run in that year because obviously he was runner up three years before, and he was supposed to be the the big benefactor once Marquez was sidelined, but he himself was already out of sorts with the new spec of Michelin that came in. But also in terms of you know stealing is well not stealing but you know taking taking a seat from somebody else. The thing is is that I think for this year it's okay because I don't I don't really see anybody who really really has to be there over Dovi and who Dovi is is blocking from being there because it's either guys who aren't entirely quite ready yet or guys who didn't didn't take the plunge I think we'd like to see Raul Fernandez there but Raul Fernandez is tied to KTM right now we'd like to see Toprak there but Toprak hasn't decided not to go yet uh Lekuona maybe but you know he's got a works world superbike sorry not much to complain about there I think for next year, if Dovi, if it is as difficult as it's looking in testing, it look it look fairly difficult. If if that's the level, he won't really want to continue himself. He'll just you know he'll step aside, and we'll have that that ride for for somebody really really hot basically. And 
And if he, you know, if he does actually show quite well, then you know, no harm, no apology. Great to have him around. Who? Sorry, Simon. What's the main infrastructure of that team? Is it Patronus with different stickers on, or have has has the guts of it gone and it's just a skeleton? There's there's a lot of the staff that were there previously, but not all. There are certainly less staff. There is certainly less experience than there was previously in the team, especially on the Binder side of the garage. And um, I think that the the main thing that's missing is Johan Stiggerfeld. Uh, I think Stiggy obviously played a bit of a backroom role and wasn't necessarily seen the same way that Razlan Razali or, or Wilco Zielenberg was seen, but he did a very important job. And yeah, he, he will be missed. It's... um. It's quite notable that so the rumors it's still not officially confirmed, but the rumors are obviously that he's going to VR forty six to help them out. And it's quite notable that they launched their new bike this week and there was a already uh, a couple of sponsors on there that had previously been with the Patronus team. You know, and that's what he's there to do. He's there to to sort of grease the cogs in the background and, and keep a smooth running team. And I think once things get underway, yeah, they'll, they'll notice that. Simon, random interjection. Uh, new bike VR forty six. What do you think of it? Because it seemed to it seemed to be quite divisive on Twitter. Um, I like the idea, uh, and it would be I think lovely if it was grey, black, and yellow. But the fact that it's grey, black, and three different colors of yellow is just a bit much for me. I kind of like it. I'm I'm weirdly into it. I don't know. I didn't expect to be as into it as I am. Interjection over. I'm still getting my head around the main sponsor's name, but there you go. We'll uh, pick up with Ducati. (laughs) (laughs) Works Ducati team, Banyaya and Miller, unchanged with the Bologna bullets. And as Simon mentioned earlier, Banyaya's end to the season was the strongest of anybody that put him just 26 points behind the world champion Quattararo come the end of the year. Miller, three Grand Prix, Grand Prix victories under his belt already. But did the kind of number two rider to Banyaya last year in various places. Uh, if Banyaya can continue the second half of 21 into 22, well, that's it. It's a given. But it's not as easy as that because here we are in the 20th year of MotoGP and whatever it is, 19, the 20th season of Ducati in MotoGP, and they still only won one world championship, and that was Casey Stoner back in 07. So they've got to sort themselves out. Uh, you kind of touched on it earlier about uh, Davizioso. Oh, well, you know, he left MotoGP and so, well, it just crumbled around him and crumbled around Ducati that Davizioso left MotoGP 18 months ago and and returned. So they've got to sort themselves out. I think they are. That's my feeling after watching your coverage from winter testing. Do you feel that in your heart, Simon? I think... So the, the, the problem for Ducati for me starting this season is momentum. Uh, they finished last year with a lot of momentum. They finished it looking like they were going to start this year as as the clear title favourites with Bagnaia. It looked like he was number one head and shoulders above the rest. And then they brought a new bike that is better, but it's still not right. There's still work to be done to that bike uh, to get it to where they want it. And the way I see it is it really all depends on how long that takes them. 
if they turn up to Qatar, haven't done a lot of work with the electronics engineers after testing and everything looks, you know, hunky-dory and they go out and win in Qatar, they're they're probably going to win the title. That that would be my gut feeling, but I don't know if it's going to be that easy. Um, I think there are others who start the season looking much stronger than them. I don't think those others are necessarily going to be stronger all season, but they're going to start the season stronger. And we saw last year that Bagnaya, while he was able to be very, very good, it, it came too late. So it's, yeah, for me, it, it's a question of how long it takes him to win a race. That's the deciding factor in their entire championship. Yeah, I, I think they're going to be perfectly fine, but what I'm also basing that on is Banyaya sounded pretty chilled all of testing and the ultimate indicator of his chillness came to me when he was the one guy who signed a big extension in the off season. So obviously we have we have some other contracts running beyond that, but the off season contract that was that's been Peko so far. And it's clear that what Ducati sees from him on whatever bike it likes, what what he sees from Ducati he likes. Yeah, it could be that it doesn't quite come together this year. Although I'm, you know, I'm still very optimistic. Um, it's just, you know, you mentioned it crumbling, Toby. You mentioned it crumbling when Dovi walked away. But obviously, in hindsight, Dovi walking away is the best possible thing that could have happened for Ducati because it allowed yeah, him to. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. I'll go with that. To put yeah. Banyaya in and suddenly discover, well, not discover, because they, you know, they had clearly a lot of faith with him, but it allowed it allowed them to accelerate his progress into a Bonafide MotoGP superstar, which which he now is. And he looked good in testing. We've not seen much in the way of headline lap times from Miller compared to even even Banyaya. They're, that's a bit surprising to me because, again, Miller sounded perfectly chilled about it, but that was also sort of the case at the start of last season, and he wasn't quite in in fantastic shape there. So I, you know what? In MotoGP, it feels to me like if you can do the lap time, then unless you're Mark Marquez, you usually try to do the lap time to prove it. Uh, but yeah, I think you know, I think still Ducati's in fine shape, and I think Pecco's going to spearhead him. But also, Jorge Martin looks really, really serious, which we already knew at the end of the, at the end of last season. So I'm still pretty bullish on their chances, but it's. It's impossible to be too bullish on anyone right now because there's like there's four or five guys we can comfortably name as title contenders, and that means a a twenty percent chance for each, which means we probably feel it's more likely that they lose than they win, and that's also the case for me with Banya. It's more likely that he loses than he wins, but he, I still think he's in really good shape. I don't know. He's in very, he's in very good shape. Uh, it's great that you started the Jorge Martin thread in this podcast because he's one of my favourites. He's a favourite for so many people all over the world. If it wasn't for that Portugal one crash that befell him last year, then wow, what he could have done. Came back, won a race. He's just a lad in the. Goes on holiday to Mexico. Everything. He's just cool, isn't he? He's just. He's just a dude and he can deliver on the racetrack. Whereas most of the time you get a dude who can't deliver on a racetrack, but he's just a dude on Instagram. So he's 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 my favorite. I think that the the factory are going to regret having Jorge Martin to an extent this year. Because I still don't think if a satellite rider can win a championship. I think that the, the I still I'm adamant that, that just it can't be done. Um, but I think that 
Um, he is going to take points off the factory riders on many an occasion. He is going to win multiple races. He is going to definitely help Ducati towards a constructors' championship, and he's most definitely going to do enough to earn himself a factory seat if he wants it for the year after. Uh, but I, yeah, I think this might be the kind of the year that they regret not having him in red. They've got too many, too many people, haven't they? And then it's gonna be a mess. It's gonna be a mess. It's, it, it's, it's the, it's the opposite to what Repsol Honda did, which is having one strong guy and then he goes and injures himself, being Mark in the middle of twenty twenty. So they've got an embarrassment of riches. Uh, he's quicker than Miller, though. He'll win more races yeah. than Miller. So they've so. got the right number of riders, but they're just in the wrong team. Um, and, and round and round it goes. Um, and of course, there is the unknown being an injury. There is the unknown of what's the weather going to do in July at Saxon Ring. No one has a clue. So hmm. I don't know how the Italians are going to work that out, Simon. But arguably, that, that if you're Ducati, that is a hell of a great place to be in because they've been in the Marquez situation with Honda for years, except their rider hasn't been as good as Marquez. You know, they've they've tried to do the poaching big names, some other brands. They've brought in the Jorge Lorenzo. They brought in the Valentino Rossi. They've tried all of these things since Stoner, and none of it has worked. None of it has even come close to working until it got to the point where the, the way forward was to actually develop some talent of their own and now they've got to the point where having developed a bit of talent it is working for them it is it is the best possible problem that you can have as a MotoGP factory I was thinking what's the last time a MotoGP factory was successful in winning a title while having multiple riders fight for, for said title and I guess you could say 2020 mere Rins but that was a was a really weird year and Rins only really joined mm. joined when it was too late uh, obviously, Yamaha with Carteraro alone, Honda with, with Marquez alone, basically. So I guess the horrible 2015 that Yamaha had yeah. is the most recent example. There's All of those are obviously, those are all circumstantial evidence, etc. But there's there's got to be a reason why MotoGP as a structure gravitates towards having just one of your guys fight for the title. As, as counterintuitive as it is, because you want to, you want to give yourself the most possible chance and proof yourself against injuries and stuff like that. But for some reason, as of late, in this past decade, MotoGP seems to gravitate towards having one guy fight for the title and the factory work towards one guy. And I'm really interested, if Martin is as good as he's looked, uh, for 2022, I mean not generally, because generally he is as good as he looked. But he, if he is as quick, is he will be as quick as, as he's looked this season then I'm really interested to see how Ducati would handle having multiple title contenders under its under its wing. It's going to be really fascinating. I suppose the last time off the top of my head that's, that a team had two guys near the top of the championship, near the end of the championship, would, was Repsol Honda in 06 with, uh, with Danny Pedrosa and Nicky Hayden. Oh, beyond 15, you mean? Beyond 15, yeah, 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 that was 2006. Um, and then you have to go all the way back to Repsol Honda in 1997. They won every single race with with Mick Durant, with Alex Crivier, and Taddy Okada. I mean, I'll never get over that. They won every Mick won the championship at Donington, middle of middle of August. Done. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would August. not call that multiple riders in in the title <laughs> fight. By the way, yeah, I yeah, yeah. One rider in the title <laughs> fight, and then the rest. But that's a diff. But that's a different yeah. psychology that 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 HRC have still got, which is well, we just we just win. We don't care who wins. Just win the bloody championship, get it done, and we all go home. Um, so yeah, because they, otherwise you get into uncomfortable territory towards the end of the season where you might have to prioritize one over the other and if they're too close together then you can't really justify it or or uh, and, sell it to your riders yeah and selling it to your riders is yeah. you know they can do it in formula one but since prost and senna they don't have or, or indeed mark weber and sebastian vettel they don't have two big dogs in the same team um one of the guys might think he's going to win the championship but no no, 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 no. The team will will do something, but in bike racing, it's still a bit maverick, isn't it? One thing I, I will throw out there, kind of linking that subject with what I said previously about satellite riders not being able to win the championship. The one thing we know about Ducati is that they are quite mercenary internally, and if we get to the end of the season and Miller is nowhere in the championship and Bagnaya doesn't look like he's capable of doing it. And they have signed Martin to a factory contract for the year after. He will become a factory rider in everything, in everything yeah, color. but colors. Yeah, yeah, they they will make that happen. Um, and 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 you know that's the thing that what makes a factory rider better than a satellite rider, as I keep saying, isn't the bike they're sitting on. It's the thirty guys in the back of the paddock sitting at computers crunching numbers after every session. It's the 50 guys in Bologna making whatever you want right away for you. And that's, you know, that's where they can kind of make them a factory rider fairly easily. Imagine mapping eighth, but in every race. <laughs> Very true. Uh, Zarco alongside uh, Martin started so strongly last year, but faded. Still yet to win a MotoGP race. I still say that when he does, then he'll just be done um i think i think that'll be uh, a shame after the start that he did to the championship last year but he just needs to get that monkey off his back as a two-time mother two world champion so yeah we shall see we shall see any comment about zarko hope he wins a race, uh, just, wins a race. you know it's yeah yeah, yeah i'd love okay. to see him win a race I think, there's an echo in here i think i think he's done like it's it it would be like a career achievement award sort of like Johan's yeah. done enough to to be a race winner in MotoGP I think uh, I think we felt the same way about Danilo until it you know it finally came and Johan arguably you could say has had a relatively more accomplished career up to that point to where up to up to the first win but there's no there's no guarantee of the of the first win obviously because MotoGP is just insane and brutal I hope I hope he does it I think. I can't imagine has too many too many years left in top line MotoGP machinery. Just ah, it's no country for old men, and Johan hasn't been around for a while. But you know the the age is ticking up. I really feel for him because he's excellent. He's an excellent character to have in, in MotoGP. But it's just you know he's just trending away from guys like him. So I really hope he wins a race this season. It, there's three riders in exactly the same position who I think start the season all in the same position of, man, I really wish they win that ra a race this year, but this is maybe their best year of doing it. It's him, it's P and, and Paul and Alish, Espagaro, both of them. I think no, all three of those guys... I thought you were going to say Taka. 
No, I, I, Taka for me is a bit of a different one because I think he's never yeah, quite, you know, he's never at a podium. He's never yeah. been at the, the really sharp end. But all three of those other guys, I think, are deserving of, of race wins and come into 2022 knowing that this is the best chance they've ever had of it. Continuing the Ducati thread, we're only halfway through uh, Ducati's. Uh, Luca Marini, Marco Bezzecchi with the aforementioned VR46 Mooney Racing squads with the uh, the colour scheme that isn't quite there. I'm going to agree with with Simon. Uh, they had a good pre-season test, though. Yeah, Marini's looking really good, actually. Um, I, I think that... He he was at a bit of a disadvantage coming into last season. He didn't get the time he needed. He didn't get the bike he needed in terms of ergonomics and comfort and you know body position and stuff. Uh, he's at a really good testing program, and I can see him being, you know, he, he's not going to win races or fight for championships this year, but he'll be the occasional surprise. Um, a podium or two wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility here and there. Um, and uh, yeah. I think he'll he'll have a solid year, and Bezeki, you know, is absolutely in the fight for top rookie. Enia Bastianini is with Grassini together with uh, Fabio Di G Antonio uh, Di G. I think that's the easy way to say it, a bit like Dovi Di G. Um, the team, the basis that they've got there, obviously from previous manufacturer, but new for Ducati. Bastianini, bit of a Bit of not even a bit the underdog, I suppose, towards the end of last year. Val, do you think he can carry that through? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He looked really, really good in preseason testing, and we know what he's capable of doing on Sunday and how how far into a race distance he can carry this Ducati with minimal. Well, he could carry the previous Ducati, but also by extension this Ducati because it's a bit easier. So he can carry it very long into a race distance without significant phase drop-off. He's going to be a real thorn in, in people's sides. Um, again, I remember when we were doing the Top 10 podcast, I've brought this up already, but I said I expect him to win multiple races this year. Yeah, I think I'm I'm still there. And, 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 but there's, you know, there's so many races, but there's also so many bikes that can win races. But I still, I, I like an ass chances to, to do something special in, in multiple race weekends. And like Bezeki, Digia is is one of the contenders for Rookie of the Year. Bezeki was by far the best rookie in the Sepang test, but in Manzalika, Digia was basically right up there. And in Sepang, obviously, Digia had the, the stomach issues that prevented him from really being on the same pace as, as the other guys. Uh, he looks completely at home. Well, obviously, he's completely at home with the team because he's basically a Grishini product through and through. And... He just, you know, he's just really good. Uh, obviously, Digio was never fought for the Moto Two title or anything like that. But if you if you followed his career in Moto Three, you you know he's really good. He obviously warrants this shot, and he's gonna be, he's definitely gonna be in the mix for for rookie of the year, I think, unless Ralph Fernandez blows away all of them, which not impossible. Suzuki very much been in the news of late, not because of the bike, not because of the riders, but because they've got a new team principal. Livio Supo, victorious with Ducati, with Casey Stoner in 2007, and then later on at Repsol Honda with the same rider. He left the paddock at the end of 2017, but now he's been called back up into the uh, the moving circus that travels the world, this time in the third set of colours, this time Suzuki. 
He's got a reputation. We all know that. I've just said it, what he has done. But he's got to he's got to do it now. He's got to make it happen. And arguably, Simon, if I can start with you, this is the biggest hill and steepest one he's he's got to climb. I don't think so. I, I think that whenever I said earlier that uh, other manufacturers are starting the season in a really good place, I meant Suzuki. Um, I think that they have fixed their bike problems. They have an absolutely excellent rider in Mir. Uh, they have a good second in Rins who needs to sort out his head a little bit. And let's be honest, if there's a person who I think will be able to come in and help him do that, it is Livio Zuppo. Um uh, yeah, I think Suzuki are in a really good shape this year. Um, we know that they we know that they really struggled in twenty twenty one because of various well, basically their development just bogged down. The bike just didn't improve when it needed to. But this is not something a Japanese manufacturer will ever 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 admit to. But looking back at it now, it almost seems like they realized what was happening, and then they they kind of stopped bothering they they rode off the year they started concentrating on the 2022 bike and the 2022 bike has turned up and it's amazing it's really really good to the extent that before the sapang test mir openly admitted he was looking at options elsewhere for his future and after the mandalika test he sounded like someone that that wanted the first race to start the next day so that he could go and win it and start his championship run um yeah i i think that Livio is perhaps the the final piece to the puzzle that was missing for this season. They oh, they could have signed him at a better time to say they couldn't have signed him at a better time. They could have signed him three months ago. But I think he's coming into the team at the, the time when everything is looking rosy again after a, a rough year out. But the resources that he had with Marlboro Ducati, the resources that he had with HRC are not the resources that Suzuki have got. But but what Suzuki have shown us time and again is that they can build a bike that's competitive without the resources of the rest. You know, they, they won the championship in 2020 with a bike that was built on a much smaller budget, but they, they kind of... There are places at the minute in MotoGP where it's very easy to spend an awful lot of money. Um, you can absolutely fall down a black hole of aerodynamics in particular. And and they've kind of just ignored that and, and kept building a Suzuki. And you know what? It works because the fundamentals of the bike are really, really good. The The reason that they lost the championship last year wasn't because the others outspent them. It was because they lost their way. And that is a personnel problem, not a, a financial problem. And they've gone a long way to me to fixing that that personnel problem by hiring the person who I went back and looked at, at the stories that we wrote. We literally wrote the day after the news was announced that David Brivio was leaving that they should hire Livio Supo to replace him. So why it's taken eleven or thirteen months, I have no idea. But he is the person that we all said that they should have brought in at the very beginning of this mess. And yeah, I. I Hundred percent. I see him as joining the team that are are very much on the rise again. Ultimately, I think Suzuki, given its operational budget, I think it's perfectly understanding and okay with the proposition that it's not going to be a title favorite uh, every single year, and that it's not going to enter, it's not going to dominate championship eras, and it's not going to 
it's not going to dominate the same way Ducati has the chance to right now, or <clears throat> it's not going to be <clears throat> it's not going to be always in the mix like a Yamaha, but it's it's there to to snipe when there's an opportunity to snipe, and it's there to win plenty of individual races and individual awards, and I don't think there's that massive pressure, like with the. With a bigger budget comes the big pressure, obviously, but also if you have a choice between entering a team where the budget is huge and entering a team where the budget isn't huge, but the bike is already there, so you don't have to spend that huge budget trying to find your bike, I think you're going to choose the the existing very good bike all the time. And the, the 2022 Suzuki looks like a really good bike. It, it's, its straight line speed is super impressive, and it's still clearly very nimble and agile, and capable of doing really good things even in qualifying trim now. So yeah, I don't I don't think this is gonna be like a huge challenge for Livio. I think the biggest challenge for Livio is gonna be tying down Mir to a new contract. And I think because of the reality that Suzuki's never gonna be a dominant force, I think that might convince Mir to to move away sooner rather than later. But I think that's the that's the big headache. But in terms of team performance and bike performance, they they're in a, in a very good position. And there, it's certainly, this is an easier situation to deal with than, say, what Guidotti has at KTM, I suspect. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, he, Suzuki have won as many championships in MotoGP as Ducati have with their massive budget. Ducati, you know, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Rider yeah, take that one. Yeah. Yeah, rider championships. But, yeah. but. I, I, and the, and that's I think the difference in riders championships, constructors championships, Ducati. That is where having, you know, seventy bazillion riders in the grid favors them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and then the other thing is, you know, on that note, there is obviously more budget in Suzuki than not maybe not than we give them credit for, but Davide Brivio was right on the edge of signing a deal to run a satellite team when he left there, there was you know it looked very much like that was going to happen. So there was a pot of money extra somewhere within Hamamatsu to run a satellite team that is, you know, I'd imagine being dumped into the race team, at least some of it. So they're, they're maybe not as financially, you know, hamstrung as we give sort of credit for. Yeah, being devil's advocate on that comment, we don't know whether or not they were going to, the works fa- Suzuki team were going to do a KTM and a Ducati and, and assist a factory team or whether or not it was just cold blood business and somebody paid to top up the works pot. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is what how Ducati started. You know their 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 second string teams. But uh, I hear what you say. I hear what you say. Repsol Honda. Well then, Mark Marquez uh, and Paul Espargaro. We've got uh, a very different looking bike from the outside. Have Honda realised not to make a bike for one rider? That is the question people want to know. Yes. Plain and simple, yes. They've built a bike that doesn't just play to Mark Marquez's strengths. They've built a bike that's a bit more neutral, a bit more rider-friendly, a lot more balanced towards the rear instead of everything being focused on the front tire. And um, yeah, I think that, that as a result, they start the season probably in the best shape as a manufacturer that they've started a season since... Maybe since... Even the early days of the the, the four strokes since the oh four oh five oh six since those days where there's multiple riders who can ride the bike be fast on it win races on it, um, obviously Mark is still their big championship focus, 
but there is absolutely no reason why Paul Espargaro can't win races on that bike. Taka Nakagami absolutely has to get a podium on that bike this year if he's to, to you know, basically keep his seat, but he has the tools to do it. Alex Marquez has already shown us that he's a podium contender if everything lines up right back in his Repsol Honda days and he can do it again. It is a, a, a big swing shift from Honda, but it's one that will long-term be beneficial to them. The The only problem that comes with it is the short-term pain that they're going to have to endure because Mark Marquez still hasn't learned how to ride the bike. Um, as he's you know more than happy to admit, he still has a ways to go before he changes his riding style to suit a bike that has now got a very different balance. Um, he doesn't know how long that's going to take. He's pretty confident that it means he, he's pretty confident, basically, that he's got four or five races to do it. He's a, a big believer in the the season doesn't start until Europe philosophy, so. Whether or not he can fight for a championship, there is still a question mark there. But yeah, as a whole, they're in better shape than they've been in a long time. It already sounded fairly cheery and in Mandalika, Mark, compared to compared to Sepang. So I think I think he's well on his way, and he sounds from the from the interview he had with you, Simon. He sounds like this this move to a new bike is something that he's happily accepted and then has little issue with and is something that philosophically doesn't necessarily disagree with him. Uh, I think for me still the bigger question is I don't think, I think if the bike's good, then I don't see its fitness for Mark Marquez will be the problem. Mark will ride whatever hunk of garbage you give him in MotoGP. He's, he'll ride the absolute hell out of it and get the best possible peak lap time and peak race time if he's fully fit. Is he fully fit? I don't know. It took... It took a lot of of twenty 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 one to get him to where he he wants to be in terms of his shoulder and his arm, and obviously a lot of that progress will have been cancelled out by the time spent on the sidelines uh, seeing double. So I still think that's also part of those first few races is just building the the muscle back up and building the the race fitness back up. Uh, I think that'll be the deciding factor in in how good Mark's season is, but I'm you know I'm reluctant to bet against him in any meaningful way. I think he's gonna he's gonna race hell on this new Honda. Very. I, I think with regards to the bike, he's probably it's fair to say that he's strategically happy and tactically unsure. He knows that the bigger picture is that the bike is better and that it'll be easier for him to ride and easier for him to perform on longer term. He's just not sure how long it's going to take to get there. Uh, but it, it is the right move, not just for Honda, but for him as well. Um, even if it does mean sort of sacrificing a bit of time to learn it. Best news ever, though, for Paulus Bargaro. He needs to win a MotoGP race. And the vibes that I got after his Indonesia test were, right, you know, he's another one. Can we have the first race tomorrow, please? And can we have five of them in one afternoon? I think I think the best news for Paul and also partly for Mark and also partly for the poor LCR repair technicians is they're not crashing the bike anymore. The bike seems to be like intact. Like all the all the new Hondas, I don't think they've had a lot of a lot of falls during test testing. In fact, off the top of my head, I'm struggling to, to remember 
maybe Nakagami fell at some point. Mark, Mark had, had a few. few no, 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 no. There, okay. were, there were some. Paul yeah, has yeah, not right. crashed, and Alex Marquez, I think, has largely stayed on it apart from once during a time attack. So that's really good news because remember last year in Qatar, the LCR duo spent the whole the whole preseason basically crashing their brains out, and then Paul very soon started to join them. Um, the fact they're not doing it right now. It's it's a big deal because you know the previous Honda was a very crashable bike, and if this one isn't, it's the the problem with building a bike that's fr- front wheel focused is that the front tire pressure goes through the roof and the tire turns to glass. Yeah, you know? and I said it last week in the podcast: if Cal Crutchlow was still riding for them, he would be starting this season rather bullish because this is a bike that would have suited mm. him. Crux of this conversation: um, Nakagami never yet had a podium in MotoGP. Should have had one in in Red Bull Ring before a red flag intervened. I should have had one if I was quicker, Val. But no, 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 no. Know, this yeah. is this is a different situation. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. He, yeah. he was he was denied one by a red flag. Yeah. He needs to uh, he needs to pull his finger out. Red Bull KTM, Oliveira and Brad Binder. They continue as is. They've had a new team manager after the end of the season. Uh, we've now got Francesco Guidotti in the position there, formerly of the Pramac Ducati squads in MotoGP. Uh, you caught up with him in uh, in preseason test, didn't you, Simon? Um, did he did he did he did he think of the season ahead with joy or did you intimate to me same different day? <laughs> no, he's very, very happy. Um he he, like his writers, um, I think he realizes that there is potential there. Um, they, they've all kind of admitted now that what we suspected last year was correct. They completely lost their way. They had a very good bike and they just didn't know what to do with it. And it's quite interesting that, that so much of this preseason work has been spent trying to understand the bike that they have rather than build a new one. I think that that's the way that they should have went at the start. Um, there's been an influx of new talent there, both with him and with the uh, new technical boss, uh, Stolicini from formerly second command at Ducati. They've, in fact, he is both more senior and I think more important than Guidotti, even though Francesco is the guy that we all know from the paddock. So he's the guy that we kind of focus on. Um, that mentality switch needed to come. And in theory, the elements are there for them to to have a good year. Um, they, they kind of just need to put it all together. And they, they haven't tried to put it all together yet. That's that's also worth saying. Um, most of testing, you know, they've never really done a long race simulation on a bike that is sort of the race spec bike. They've never uh, done a real-time attack. Um, and we start the season as well at a circuit that's not, you know, it's a circuit where they had an absolute nightmare last year. Let's not forget. They had just hellish two weeks there. Um, so it's going to take a little bit of time to get an idea of their real form. But I think from the noises inside the team, from talking to Guidotti, yeah, it should be better than last year. For me, the big and the most interesting question about the KTM had actually not much to do with the RC16. For me, the question is is the factory lineup good enough? And I don't mean good enough isn't good enough to be MotoGP riders, because they clearly are. They're both race winners. They were both really good in the in the junior categories. 
for me, the question is, are, are, any, are they good enough as potential title contenders? Because that's what KTM will want. And I think the, the progress of Raul Fernandez and Remy Gardner over the season will, will help us answer that question. Because if, if they get close soon, then you have to start asking questions about whether you really have the flagship guy that you want to, to propel you towards, towards your first title. Um, so that's, that's the interesting bit for me. I, I obviously clearly still have doubts, despite the fact that there are five, five, is it four, four or five? I'm starting to lose it a little bit. Four or five, five, five combined MotoGP wins between uh, Brad Bender and Miguel Oliveira. But I've, I've seen too many duff weekends for one reason or another to still, to still wonder. It's chicken or the egg though, isn't it Val? Because if you make a good bike, then the rider comes and then you get a championship. It's, it's rare that a so, so bike wins a championship. Rare. It does happen, but it's, it's few and far between. Um, I think that Oliveira can string something together, but all the stars have got to be aligned. Easy get-out clause to use, easy thing for me to say on uh, on a weekday morning, but it should all pull together. Um, I believe that the new team manager in the shape of Guidotti will be a massive breath of fresh air, and not just for people at the racetrack. It's the majority of people who are then working back in Austria at the huge motorsport facility that they've got just a couple of kilometres down the road from uh, KTM headquarters. Um, There was a lot of unease towards the autumn and the early winter last year, and it was into November that it all just went bang. So that has stopped immediately. And I'm a big believer, and we've all worked in good teams, haven't we? Whatever the team is, when you have a good team spirit, you can walk to the moon, you can walk on water, you can do anything. So I'm really interested to see how that shakes out because there is there are good people there, um, and arguably there are even better people now. Tech 3 has got the reigning Mudder 2 world champion in the shape of Remy Gardner. You've already mentioned Raul Fernandez, Val. Uh, always been a fan. Uh, you have, out of the three of us, you've been the one that champions him the most. Um, is that a bit of a no-brainer who's going to win that little inter-Tech 3 battle? But it's There's not enough. Like I, I don't want to denigrate Remy in any sort of way because clearly most of his preseason has been sabotaged by the, by the wrist injury. In Jerez, he looked perfectly fine and capable of, of taking the fight to, to to Fernandez. Ultimately, I think from what we've seen from their respective two careers before MotoGP, I think it's 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 fair to say that we would expect Raul Fernandez to have the higher ceiling. But I I really I want to give Remy a chance to show what he's capable on the Premier Class bike, uh, well fit, and I think it's still going to be a little bit because the the, the injury was really giving him hell. In, in preseason testing. But yeah, no, if, if you're asking me who I expect to win, yeah, Raul Fernandez, I think, will will be on top there. I'm going to go even further than Val and say that I wouldn't be surprised if Raul Fernandez beats at least one of the factory bikes. I think he's that good. And I think, like Val said, there are still niggling question marks about the two factory riders. Um, Oliveira, in particular, just really didn't impress me last season. Um, you, you can't be a title contender and be that inconsistent that 
just you know he's so he he's not hot or cold he's boiling or freezing yeah isn't i'll he? take that i'll take and that for me yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. R- renandez was super 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 consistent as a rookie in moto 2 and yeah i think that he will be he will be the upset of of 2022 i think across all class across all manufacturers he will be the upset but within ktm you know we joked about martin causing problems for the for the factory riders uh, at Ducati, I think, you know, there is no joking about the problems that Raul Fernandez can potentially cause the KTM factory, Joe. And the KTM management, because what do you do? So it's a double-edged sword for me, because on the one hand, I, I put a lot of stock into what I see in Moto3, Moto2 in terms of record. And if KTM wants its genuine, no doubt, title contender in a lineup, then is there really enough in Brad Binder and Miguel Oliveira's pre-MotoGP record to suggest that they're definitely but definitely MotoGP title contenders? They're both very good in Moto3 and Moto2, and they are both MotoGP race winners and clearly good enough to be that. But if KTM's aiming for the very, very, very top, are they that? And I don't know the answer to that, which is why I remain surprised by Binder as good as he is on Sundays, getting an extension that runs through 2024 as early as he did. The other side of that sword is everyone thinks Fernandez is amazing based on a Moto2 rookie season that we have basically never seen anything like, uh, which means that if both Miguel and Brad manage to successfully fend off Raul in his rookie season, keep him in his place, keep him as always the third or fourth best KTM, then that's you know that's going to be a serious boon to to their both of their reputations. So it's it, it's another part of the reason why I'm really really curious because we have two guys who we already know are very MotoGP relevant in that they're both race winners who on their on their days are absolutely incredible. But it it this could be very decisive for their overall reputation as potential MotoGP title contenders. You can't really be a, a title contender if you're getting if you're getting stuffed by a by a rookie, right? The the standout thing for me, um that this kind of shows a Moto three rider in particular is gonna make it isn't who wins the most races, it's who qualifies in pole position the most. That has kind of always been the the thing that, you know, highlights a Moto three rider early as being really good. Binder and Oliveira weren't particularly standouts at that, but the the two recent ones that were were Jorge Martin and then Raul Fernandez. And and that to me, yeah, that implies that the the Fernandez level is higher than the Binder or the the Oliveira level. Am I a prat for countering that John Mir has I think only one Moto three pole or maybe two? And he's one of our but, most recent MotoGP champions. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but but let's look at let's look at the next three or four years. Who do you see winning most uh, most titles? A factory Yamaha, Raul Fernandez, a factory Ducati, Jorge Martin, or a factory Suzuki, Juan Mir. Mir is the third in that list to me. Uh, I don't know what bike he's going to be on when he wins the championship, but Pedro Acosta. You know, he's yeah. just into motor two. I cannot wait to see him in 12 months' time. Let's keep yeah. our fingers crossed but that I'm he's actually, in the big class. I'm actually not sure what Pedro was 
best at in his rookie motor three season because he had some really duff qualifyings. Yeah. But then towards the end of the season, he wasn't he a qualifier. To, yeah. You, you're allowed. You're allowed a couple in your rookie season, and then you go and do it's that. More than a couple. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a lot. He he is definitely he is definitely more of a mirror than a a Martin or, a, or you know he's he's got that ability to find overtakes and track space. But but he was also a rookie, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's it's hard to quantify exactly. Where, where, where do you compare an Acosta with a Marquez, Simon? Have you done that whilst you've been on your dog walk? <laughs> There's a, there are similarities in that. So I think that the one defining characteristic of all of, like everyone that's won championships, that they're intelligent. And, and I think that uh, yes. he's got that Marquez, that Rossi, it's it's almost like a, a sixth sense. You see it in other sports as well. Um, you know, I'm a huge cycling fan and, and it's a Mark Cavendish trait of being able to kind of, you always know where you are relative to everyone else around you. It's it's that sense. And, it, and then being able to make a plan instantly off the back of that. And that's where I see his, the Acosta similarities to Marquez. And I think that's, that's what he showed in, in 2021 that his strength is because that's where he won you know, his races by being clever and being in the right position and making sure he didn't lead on the last laps and stuff like that. Okay, Aprilia. Uh, Aleish Espargaro had a fantastic run in Indonesia in the preseason test. Vinales still, in my eyes, still the invisible man, should I say, after the, what a mess of a fallout with Yamaha last year. But they've got themselves together are uh, the ultimate underdog manufacturer in MotoGP. Podiums, wet race, wind going the right way. Can they do it? I, I don't think they need a wet race. I think they can do it in the dry. And I think they can do it in the dry without... I think they can do it in the dry without it being a weird race. I think that they have the potential at certain circuits this year to win. Plain and simple. Um, Aleish, I, I really... Quote to the podcast there. Quote to the podcast. <laughs> I Claire, can you edit that out and put it on the front? <laughs> I really hope that Aleish doesn't get uh, done the way that brother Paul did or the way that Johan Zarco did, where they both built this team, you know, the way that Zarco did a Pramac, the way that, that Paul did a KTM, and then they get robbed by someone coming in and stealing their glory. But uh, Maverick just needs time. Um, he's still adapting to the bike. And it, it's weird, Toby, you said earlier about the, the chicken and the egg of you need a good bike to attract good riders. I think that they've kind of locked into getting their chicken and their egg at the same time because <laughs> they, they've, they've, they got Maverick through circumstance and then delivered him a really, really good bike by happenstance at the same time. And, and the bike, they've, they've done the Suzuki trick from the other approach. They've built a bike with V4 power that handles like an inline four, that corners like an inline four, which is the dream really, isn't it? You you either, traditionally you have a bike that goes around corners really well, or you've got a bike that goes really fast in a straight line. And it's the teams that can build one that's both that does well. And they're there. The, the bike is good enough. Um, I think the biggest shame for Aprilia this year is that they don't have four bikes in the grid, that a Grissini went in their other direction, that they're, going to always struggle a little bit in terms of development and you know just data uh, but but yeah all the signs are there and they have realistically they have five 
four or five good chances of winning a race. Um, the places where you'd expect them to be quick, Qatar, for sure, they have a good chance. Um, Phillip Island, Assen, Silverstone, Aragon, any one of those they can win. I'm certain of it. I think it should be a new rule implemented by the FIM that Alacious Bargaro can never ride for another MotoGP team except Aprilia. It just wouldn't be the same, would it? It wouldn't be the same. No matter how good the coffee is, Patterson. So, uh, yeah. I think that they should just implement a rule where Alicia's never allowed to retire because there is no one that delivers a quote quite like yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 50-year-old Aleish desperate to begin his cycling career, but the FIA <laughs> yeah. forbids it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, MotoGP <laughs> Unlimited, uh, the behind-the-scenes documentary, that kicks off on March the 14th. Uh, looking forward it's to that. It's very good. It, have you had a sneak preview? Yeah, I've saw two episodes. Oh, okay. It's very is good. Is it good? Okay, don't spoil yeah, it. it. Is. Don't spoil it. Okay. Has he got the proper... What's your favorite quote from it in Catalan? <laughs> My favorite quote from it's in English, and it's Maverick. It's it's okay. it's a rumored thing that I'd heard and never really reported on because I never had confirmation of it. Okay. But yeah, yeah, Maverick Vinales did get off the bike after his last ever race and scream, "You're sabotaging me!" at Lynn Jarvis in the middle of the garage. It's all on film, <laughs> and I've Toby, you you'll back me up on this. Have you ever seen Lynn Jarvis angry before? No, I've not. No, no, Lynn screams back. Excellent. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, let, let's go and re-listen to our podcast after Vignale's got the hoof. Uh, but anyway, okay, we've got five <laughs> rookies in MotoGP for 2022. We've got Raul Fernandez. We've got Darren Binder. We've got uh, DG Antonio. We've got Remy Gardner and Marco Betsecki. Who's going to be the top rookie? I'm going to go. For Fernandez. Bezeki. Becky. You don't I mean I should pick I should pick Digi Afford for the symmetry. <laughs> and I do believe in him, but Fernandez. Okay. Okay. Top independent rider. Bit of a woolly kind of question I may know, but is it gonna be as Martin, isn't it? It's Martin. Martin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Surprise of the season. By the way, these are questions that Val scribbled before the podcast, so let's give him the huge credit for that. I love this question. Top independent rider. Val, you want to go first on that one? We, did, we just did top independent. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, a surprise of the season. Sorry, surprise of the season. Oh, boy. Um, oh, I scribbled the questions, <laughs> didn't think of my answers for them, so that's, you know, <laughs> great work. Fantastic. Uh, Alex Rins. I... I... I was going to say surprise of the season is going to be okay. one of the rookies sticking it in pole position somewhere, but then I realized that that happened last year with Martin, so it's not going to be that much of a surprise, is it? Surprise of the season. Yeah. Is it Repsol Honda back on form with Mark Marquez? Right. When you say back on form, the surprise would be if they like win 15 races, in which case we're screwed. But... Yeah, I, well, of course... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've put the pressure on them now, Toby. They did it in a 1997 form, yeah, yeah, yeah. season. Form being win 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, surprise. I, don't, I just don't think they are quite there yet. That's why in my head it might be a surprise. If he ticks along like he has done for the for last year, then, then so be it. Disappointment of the season. Simon, you can go first this time. Disappointment of the season. It might not be a rider, it might be a team, it might be an event. I think it'll be KTM as a whole, as a manufacturer. 
I, they're talking a good game, and I know that we've just said that they they sound really confident, but I don't know if it's all going to come together the way that they wanted to. Simply because you know it goes back to the, the recurring theme of this podcast is how close money GP is, right? Someone yeah. has to be a loser. Uh, I hate myself for coming up with this category, so I'll just I'll say Aprilia and hope it's not true. That's oh, that's cruel. Yeah, but no. I mean, not that they're going to be like really bad, but Val is actively campaigning <laughs> against himself now. Not as good as maybe we we are hoping they are. That's 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 where I'm going to go with this. But I I don't want to be disappointed with anybody. I don't want disappointments. I want everybody to win a race. Twenty race winners. Let's do it. Twenty one. Uh, <laughs> disappointment of the season, so far as I'm concerned, will be the stewards of the Grand Prix meeting. Uh, The Formula One (laughs) debacle in Abu Dhabi last year is a lesson for world sports and the the, the juries of world sport, the judges of world sport. And they've reacted to that with uh, two race directors and then a very wise owl in the background. I just don't think the sport has quite got that. And it just makes Simon so angry on a Saturday evening with Moto3 qualifying decisions and such like. And I pray that it doesn't come into the big class on a Sunday afternoon because then we'll just have all the flack going around the sport that Formula One did after Abu Dhabi and after the Lewis Verstappen debacle. Marquez's championship position, how many wins might he get? I d- I said first, like on a, on a previous podcast, I can't deviate from that. It would be intellectually dishonest. Although if you ask me at, at various times of day, I have entirely different answers <laughs> to this. But let's say first six wins. <laughs> first and six wins. I'm, I'm going to say third with four wins. I'm going to say second with four wins. Second with four wins. Who's going to win the Manufacturer's Championship? Ducati. 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 <laughs> I gave this one to us as a as a gimme. I gave an easy one to us. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give Ducati. And finally, the big one. Who is going to win the MotoGP World Championship in 2022? <laughs> That's a really difficult one for me. Maybe it's not for you. I'll go first. Um, my head says it's going to be one of four people. It will be Bagnaya, it will be Mir, it will be Marquez, or it will be Quadraro. For some reason, I, uh, my gut tells me Mir can do it. I, I have a list of four plus Martin, but yeah, I said Marquez, so Marquez. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go for Banyaya. I, I still think he's got the cooler head um, in amongst the slightly hotter heads of, of Ducati, and I, I hope they turn it around. There's a bit of hope in that statement rather than fact, but yeah, I'm going to go for Banyaya. Simon? I'm I'm just going to take that opportunity to tease my interview that's coming in the next few days on the race with Bagnaya, where he specifically says that being calm-headed is the single greatest trait that Valentino Rossi has taught him. There's a little sneak preview. That's a good one, isn't it? That's a good one. Well, keep in touch with therace.com and remember the dash, the-race.com to catch up with that interview that Simon has already done with Francesco Bagnaia of the Works Ducati team. Uh, the news, the gossip, our other podcasts are all online with our website, Formula One News, IndyCar News, 
and Formula One news podcasts and YouTube are all at therace.com. Thank you so much, Val. Thank you so much, Simon. I know that you're going to be on your way to Qatar literally tomorrow, but that buzz will be returning of people in the grandstands for this 2022 season, just as it was now a full two years ago, or even longer, actually, because it was at the end of the 19 season when we had a full proper grandstand. So that'll be a good one. In the meantime, keep in touch with all of our, uh, our news on the website. We'll look forward to the race this weekend. Speak to you all soon. Thanks. Bye for now. Bye for now.